0: I'm Derek Fuldebrandt, publisher of the Western Standard, and you're watching The Pipeline. Today is August 9th, 2023. I'm joined as usual by Western Standard opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. Great to be back. Good to be back here too. Uh We've also got, as always, Western Standard uh, senior Alberta columnist, Corey Morgan. How you doing, Corey?
1: Very good, thanks.
0: Uh, Okay, well, we've got... A fun show today. Uh, First, a hostage crisis. Uh, Ottawa has been uh, taking hostages from Alberta for quite some time. The tech oil sands mine, pipeline approvals, natural gas exports to Germany. They've taken a lot of hostages, but all of a sudden, new twist in the story. Alberta's taken some hostages. The Alberta government has put in place a six-month moratorium on so-called green energy products, that's windmills, uh, solar panels, uh, hipsters on exercise bikes, different things like this, uh, uh, ostensibly so that uh, they can do a review around, around land use uh, stuff, which uh, makes some sense, but I'm actually hoping that there's a bigger agenda at uh, at play here, and that's that... Um, well, if Ottawa is going to be uh, shooting our prisoners, then perhaps we should start shooting some of their dear green prisoners as well. Uh, uh, just for the Facebook, YouTube, and uh, uh, Facebook, well, mostly Facebook and YouTube sensors. We're not actually talking about shooting people, we're doing uh, metaphorical projects. Uh, we're gonna be talking about uh, housing prices, housing, um, housing, uh, more, or uh, house uh, building and immigration. Uh, immigration levels, already at massive record levels, continued to uh, be planned to go to even higher new record levels, Uh, and whatever else you you might think about immigration, good thing, bad thing, it's definitely far, far outpacing new home construction in Canada, so we're going to be talking about that, particularly comes from a a column that uh, Corey wrote. We're going to talk about Justin Trudeau's privacy tour, Uh, of course, I'm sure you've all seen the news. Uh, Justin Trudeau and Sophie Gregor Trudeau have split and they both issued a very, I think, reasonable plea for privacy to leave their family out of this. Uh, this is a private matter. And I think most reasonable people among us said, that seems reasonable to me. And about two days later, Justin Trudeau trots out his Barbie son on social media, uh, doing anything but keeping, uh, his family life private from what uh, what's going on. So I'm going to talk about uh, Justin Trudeau's kind of a very strange privacy tour here. Um, a little on the nose, but trying to contrast himself. Uh, uh, Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, uh, the Conservative leader's new clothes, a new set of positive advertisements about the Conservative leader, uh, released about how he is a great family man and a regular guy and... Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. His family's together. I think that part was, a, you know, a little, maybe a little on the nose. But uh, we're going to talk about these new attack ads, uh, not attack ads, the opposite of attack ads, positive, flowery, nice ads, uh, meant to uh, perhaps humanize uh, Pierre Polyev uh, as he continues to climb in the polls here. Before we get started, though, we got to thank my favorite sponsor, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. I was actually just talking to these guys this morning, uh, I've been a member of the CSSA for more than a decade uh, because we need the Canadian Shooting Sports Association there to defend our rights as free firearm owners uh, in Canada. Uh, The Canadian Shooting Sports Association is Canada's leading firearms rights organization and is absolutely necessary if we are to retain any right to own and use firearms legally in this country. Uh, Without the CSSA, by this point, I'm sure uh, we'd all still be gun owners We'd just be criminals for doing it at the same time. So if you're not yet a member of the CSSA, you need to stop free riding and join up with them. Go to cssa-cila.org. I'll also make an unscheduled, but I think important plug here. Uh, Many of you have probably noticed we're pretty much banned from Facebook at this point. Some of you with a VPN or watching from outside of Canada, or maybe there's been some trickery going on where they haven't got you yet. We're banned from Facebook. We're about to be banned from Google. And this is all because of federal legislation meant to help us. You know, we've talked about Bill C-18 before, the latest media bailout bill uh, imposed by the federal government designed to bail out legacy publishers and broadcasters uh, by making Google and Facebook give them money for helping them find readers and viewers. A Strange crime. Well, uh, this is obviously blown up in their faces. And the Western Standard, we've been at left holding the bag. We don't take the bailout bailout money, but we have to deal with being banned on Facebook and Google because of federal government legislation. So uh, two things. If you're already a member of the Western Standard, thank you very much. But if you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, sign up right now at westernstandard.news. We've got a special promotion on right now. You can sign up for a trial membership at only $5 a month. It's a great deal. And if that's too much, just sign up for the free newsletter so you can at least stay in contact with us, see the news that we're sending out every morning in the newsletter, uh, because very soon, it's gonna be very hard to discover us organically on Google or on Facebook, where most people get their news. Okay, let's jump into it. Hostage hostage exchange Um, for a very long time now, at least since the the Trudeau government came to power in 2015. They have been outright canceling uh, energy prod pro- generally you know, fossil fuel based energy products in Canada, um, and uh, you know we remember just a few years ago the Tech Frontier mine, a massive oil sands project, uh, billions and billions of dollars of investment, tens of billions of dollars in economic economic activity and royalties over the projected life of the oil sands mine, uh, just canceled by the Trudeau government. No good reason other than we don't like it. Too bad. It's Alberta. It's oil. That's a double negative, can't do it. Uh, all sorts of, you know, the No More Pipelines Bill, the No More Tank, uh, the, the West Coast Tanker Ban, all of these things designed to kill the oil and gas industry in Alberta. So they've been taking hostages and shooting them to boot. Well, all of a sudden, just a few days ago, a very interesting announcement in Alberta here. Uh, the government's uh, put in place a six month moratorium on uh, wind and solar projects. Now, a lot of people who actually live near where they build these things don't like them. They make the landscape look like crap. A lot of people live in the country because it's beautiful and it's natural. That's a big reason to live in the country. Well, it doesn't look so beautiful and natural when you got giant mirrors for solar farms and you know, wind farms polluting the landscape. Uh, uh, people who want them tend to live where these things aren't. Uh, so it disrupts landowners. It just their way of life. So they put in place a six month moratorium on that. Um, But I think there could be, uh, I mean, critics of this are saying, well, maybe maybe they're trying to strike back at Ottawa and I thought, oh, that's a great idea if it's true. I don't know. Uh, Let's start with you, Corey. Um, Is this a bit of column column A, part of column B? It is partially concerned of landowners having their landscapes polluted by these projects without any consultation with them. Or is this primarily Alberta taking some hostages now and saying, uh, geez, you killed our projects. It'd be a shame if this wind farm uh, was killed too.
1: Well, I think there's a bit of both going on. It, it, it's the, the government saying, you know what, we're, we're, we're not part of this almost craze for renewable energies. We actually want to start appraising these and treating them as we do with other conventional energy projects for feasibility, environmental impact, things like that. The icing on the cake, though, is telling Ottawa, well, yeah, we're not going to play your game with this. We're going to develop our industry, as is our provincial, right, how we see fit. We can debate whether it's a good idea or a bad idea to develop that way. But she's, I think, sticking out the line, too, though, saying it's our choice whether it's good or bad. This is our turf. And uh, what are you going to do about it? And uh, as you said, the hostage exchange might uh, be pending.
0: Yeah. Uh, Nigel, the idea of the hostage exchange... you know, Alberta taking hostages to come back at Ottawa it didn't really strike at me too much until this morning. Uh, it's, the discussion was mostly around, um, you know, on the one side, while well, they're protecting landowners in rural areas from you know, polluting their landscapes with, you know, wind and solar farms everywhere. On the other side saying, oh, how dare you? This is a thriving industry. even though it's subs- subsidized up the wazoo. Uh, but, you know, they, they are being built. Uh, they're just doing this because they don't like green energy. I'm not convinced that they don't like so-called green energy, uh, but it struck me that this could be a hostage exchange. When I was walking by in the hallway, we've got some kind of covers of our older issues here, and headline, one of our earlier issues was, you know, if Trudeau kills the tech frontier mine, it's war. And I thought, maybe this, maybe there's a, real, a bigger, uh, higher level politics to this, that this is Alberta frustrated that okay we can't do can't seem to do anything to force ottawa to allow us to develop our industries as we see fit so perhaps we'll strike at them on our own soil because we've got these little green uh, you know these little solar and energy farms that ottawa likes they're on our soil and we can stop new ones from being built we can play the same game um, i don't know am i reading too much into this that this is a hostage exchange or is this just more or less what it is on its face that it's just uh Maybe they just don't like them, or maybe it is just uh, a
2: review for landowners. So, I would say that the conversation that went, you know, we should start stopping new green developments until they start allowing some new oil developments was probably never that explicit, because there are enough good reasons, which I may come to, just to to put a lid on the amount of new green whether it's solar or wind, development in this province. However, I will bet everybody sat, sat back once they made the decision and said something along the lines of what you're saying. That's kind of interesting, actually. We can do it too, can't we? It's sort of like the Sovereignty Act, only it's proactive instead of reactive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I, I, I do strongly believe that, uh, the, that uh, this government would have been motivated by genuine reasons of... Uh, of uh, public concern. They nearly had a blackout before Christmas. We came that close. and They are very aware that you cannot summon up renewable energy on demand. If the wind doesn't blow or if it's dark, if it's cloudy, whatever the problem is, you can't just say, all right, turn on the turbines because nothing happens. Mm -hmm. They also articulated a number of other reasons that these things have got like a 20 year lifespan and they're not recyclable. So what do you what, what's the exit plan going to be and they say well this is something we're not going to have any more of these things until we've developed that in six months gives us a, a reasonable amount of time to do it but this is a province which lives four months of the year below zero and tough you know it's it, it's you need power all the time and the idea that the power could ever go off in the middle of the winter is something that a provincial government that allowed it to happen should be crucified for. They're not going to lay themselves open to that charge. I think it's kind of interesting that they that they've actually picked up and run with this when so many previous provincial governments have not mm-hmm. brought us this close to the brink. Yeah, it, it's sort of Ottawa's. Ottawa
0: doesn't really care how reliable this stuff is because it feels good. They're happy to let the Western bastards freeze in the dark. They don't mm-hmm. care if this stuff is is reliable or not. Um, and it was, you know, most of this stuff began in a really big way under the NDP. They completely changed uh, the way they did the power grid, uh, introduced massive new subsidies in addition to subsidies that were already there federally and from the previous uh, Allison Redford and Stelmac governments. Uh-huh. Uh, but the Kenny government didn't really change anything on it. They more or less just kind of left it in place. Uh, and so far, this, you know, it's early days for this UCP government. Smith has only been... Uh, premier in her own right since the election since, you know, May, May 31st, really. They um, I mean, haven't had a, even a city of the legislature since, since the election, but uh, it'll be telling if they start pulling the subsidies on these things. Now, the old ones, there's old contracts signed. it will be very, pr- pretty much impossible to get rid of the old contracts. We're still going to be stuck paying those for generations, just as Ontario is stuck paying them for generations back from the McGuinty government. But uh, it'll be telling if if Alberta does. Uh, Corey, what do you think? Do you think this would be the next move? Is that Alberta starts pulling the subsidies out on these uh, developments? Well, it might. If you I mean, don't like something, you probably don't subsidize
1: it. I mean, the, the whole case of whether they're viable or not is whether they could exist with just private investment. I mean, you know, we would agree in this room anyways. So I could see, yeah, the thumbs up is going on, but we're yanking our portion of it. If you can bring in the private capital and, and follow the proper environmental hoops, go to town. But in the meantime... We're done backstopping this because we have to bring more reliable things onto our grid, such as gas or, you know, dare I say, who knows, maybe, you know, modular nuclear and a lot of other options out there.
0: Well, Ottawa killed the. The subsidies for oil and gas, which was precisely zero dollars. So, in response, we have to kill
1: the subsidies for Ottawa's green projects, which is which are real a lot more than zero dollars. And there's a reason to just for cost benefit analysis. Like, I did a comparison that Traverse solar project it's already generating, it's in the grid. It's uh, the numbers offhand, I think it's 340 megawatts it generates, which is sizable, but it takes up. 3,200 acres of land down there. Now, mm-hmm. there's the Calgary Energy Project. It's a, a newer energy plant that was built. Uh, it's natural gas fired outside of Calgary, which generates about 320 megawatts, a little bit less than that one. But it only takes up about 10 acres. So when you're talking environmental footprint, too, I mean, and now the gas one has emissions, the solar doesn't, but th- there's more to be discussed. And more There's not a will... lot
0: of emissions in natural gas. It's
1: no, re- relative to a lot of other uh, uh, forms. So uh, tapping the brakes because there's there's 50, if you go to the Alberta website, it's very good for it, the government, 50 large uh, renewable energy projects in the application or uh, pending construction stage right now. Like There's a lot, and that's ones that are $5 million or, or more. They're usually in the hundreds of millions.
2: It's a good time to rethink those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, this will be totally misrepresented to the, the Central Canadian legislature. <laughs> oh, oh of course. We're, we're Alberta. Well,
0: let's, <laughs> let's talk about how effective a strategy this might be if it is in fact a strategy. Maybe maybe we're reading way too much into it. Nigel, you've said maybe it wasn't an explicit discussion. I hope it was actually. Like I I hope that the Greenies' worst fears here is actually true that this was a very intentional and strategic move to retaliate against Ottawa. And maybe if it wasn't uh, intentional to begin with, maybe it was just, ah, we just need to, you know, for land development stuff, we need to look at that. It seems to actually be a potentially great move for the province to make if they want to strong-arm Ottawa, because Ottawa seems to have held all the cards the Supreme Court stacked. It's chosen exclusively by federal politicians and you know, which, which is Trudeau and then before them Harper. Um, do you think this is a, an effective strategy, if in fact it is a strategy to strong-arm Ottawa and to relenting on canceling Alberta projects?
2: Hard to say, at the, uh, at the, on the surface, yes it is. Uh, we can play that game too uh under the surface what will the uh, what will the federal government do what will the Liberal party more to the point do with this narrative uh, of an obstreperous obstructive Alberta government that is'd be a put- bit
0: rich oh Alberta's uh, yeah. stopping energy projects. well I mean, that, stopping clean energy I would projects. love to see them say that it'd be
2: well, hilarious well it would but it would sell very well to the um, to the to the central Canadian electorate, which doesn't believe the best of Alberta in the first place, and would probably react quite strongly to an emotional pitch from the uh, from the Prime Minister. And Lord knows he's going to need some effective emotional pitches in about two years' time.
0: Well, let so, them hate on Alberta. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: whether that will actually force them to relent, the thing that, that we need to be building more natural gas generators now. Mm-hmm. That's what we know how to do, that's what we know works, and we have the natural gas to do it with. It is the nuclear, nothing against nuclear, but I think there's a little bit more of a time lag between saying, yes, we'll do it, and actually t- turning it on.
0: It also happens to be that we have all hell for a basement of natural gas. Absolutely. We have virtually infinite natural gas under us, and it's cheap.
2: But you made a point about the NDP a few minutes ago, about how this started. They were the ones who actually started decommissioning the coal-fired generating plants, which is by far the cheapest way to generate Mm -hmm. electricity. And all that had happened is that they had completely bought the program, unthinking, unquestioning, an emotional appeal, oh, we must do our part too. So let's get, you know, more harm is done by stupid people than evil people. I don't think the NDP were evil, mm-hmm. but they certainly uh, were stupid on this whole file. And now we've got a government that is, I think, trying to pick up the pieces. Well, not think, I, it's manifestly obvious. They're trying to pick up the pieces and make sure that the lights don't go off.
0: Well, I think we've got Nigel's slogan. More harm is done by stupid
2: people than evil people. Well, no, it's not original, but I'm sure observed it. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, we're going to switch it up to... Uh, to another federal provincial issue here, um, that housing, the, the relationship between housing and immigration, uh, you know, people watching are probably gonna have different views on immigration, um, but you know, Canada was populated, uh, other than the very first people here, by immigrants. We've, you know, and our birth rate's so low that probably can't be forced up much higher through whatever incentives. Immigration is in a pretty important part of the economy here, especially as we have this upside down pyramid scheme of the welfare state between healthcare and pensions and things like that. But whatever you th- level you think immigration should be at, um, we have to agree that I, I would think that if, you know, housing prices are already so stratospheric that it's uh, your only way if you're a young person today to get a house is that your parents give or lend you the money or you win the lottery that at a minimum, we should at least be building enough new homes in Canada so that uh, it stays roughly equivalent with, with availability relative to immigration. Well, that's very much not the case. Corey, you, you had a column on this.
1: Yeah, I did. Or the column's coming out soon, anyways. Huh. And uh, I, I did uh, talk about that on the show. I, uh, I did. Uh, yeah, I mean, the numbers, it's just straight math. the the, the Trudeau government is stubbornly sticking to their 500,000 a year target for immigration of of people to come into Canada. That was one of the first things asked of the new immigration minister. Will you, even, even progressive outlets are starting to question, would you start considering slowing it down. We've got a problem. He said, no. Not cutting it, but anything, slowing it down the growth. If anything, we might even increase it, he said, actually. Uh, So we have 500,000 planned to come in every year. Our housing units right now, and that's housing, it's apartments, that's houses, it's everything, is roughly about 230,000. So, I mean, this is a-
0: Not every immigrant needs their own
1: unit because there's a lot of families That's right. It's not straight across, but it's certainly not enough. Plus- if they're coming in, either whether the immigrant can't find a new home or they get into the bidding and, and the costs go up because we're having difficulty with citizens here now mm-hmm. affording to get into either buying a home, as you said, or even renting. It's eating a larger and larger part of people's incomes. This this is a collision course going on, and it's going to lead to some very, very big challenges. I, I looked up some of the, the numbers because we were talking a bit earlier. You know, what's the incentive? though? Why is the government so stuck on this? Well, it's according to the IMF. So if Canada sticks to its immigration targets we will see our GDP increase by 1.5% because incoming in immigration does generate activity and, and GDP. But of course, when you break it down to per capita GDP, mm. that's where the difference lies because that will drop, uh, not by 1.5%, but they're predicting 0.2% to 0.5% because sure, you've increased the economy by 1.5%, but you're spreading it amongst 500,000 extra people every year. And uh, so you know lar- more people will have less. But it helps them balance the books. It helps them avoid the R word. There's no recession as long as the GDP is ostensibly growing. But this, again, as you said, it's a pyramid scheme, and and it's going to crash eventually. We can't just keep maintaining this by pumping people in to support uh, the population demographic uh, changes we have. We've got to get the housing. Nigel,
0: you don't have to be anti-immigration to have legitimate concerns about this stuff. I mean, you could be very pro-immigration and say, well, first of all, I'm not sure you, any society in the world can absorb this proportion of people. I mean, I, I think reasonable people would agree that a society uh, can absorb a certain number of newcomers from foreign languages, foreign religions, foreign cultures. We can absorb a certain proportion every year. What is the proportion we can absorb and what, at what point does it tip over that we can't? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of examples in Europe that they have absorbed a lot more than they can handle. Uh, Canada's been relatively successful-ish in uh, in absorbing people, but at some point it's gonna tip over. Um, But now it's getting into a very, beyond the traditional cultural arguments, which dominate discussions of immigration, it's now getting into basic economics of it. And that is much more difficult for the liberals to argue with, saying, uh, yeah, Housing is a problem, but we're going to continue to bring in many more people every year than we're actually building the necessary homes for. Do you think, you know, if the government continues on this, uh, and, and the conservatives haven't, the conservatives have been so shy around this because they don't want to get painted as anti-immigrant. I mean, saying, well, we're not going to bring in half a million a year. We're going to bring in four point five, uh, you know, four hundred fifty thousand a year. The liberals will say, well, you're racists. Uh, even if Canada still had the highest immigration levels in the world. It's less than the Liberals, therefore you're racist. So the Conservatives have been very tepid around this. I don't know where they're going to go with it. But do you think, regardless of what party's in power, this housing issue with immigration uh, poses a risk of causing an anti-immigration backlash that could maybe turn to a nastro form of xenophobia?
2: I hope it doesn't come to that, Derek. I, I, I really hope it doesn't come to that. But you are going to be seeing more stories about immigrants living in tent cities. Because if there literally is no place for them to go, what are they going to do? They will do what they can, and they will find temporary accommodation. And it's going to be a terrible story for the, uh, for the liberals. Well, we've
0: already got that. Look, it just happened in Toronto. Yeah. Now Toronto's screaming for money. Uh, to How's these poor people who we invite to our shores
2: and we have gonna work for them to stay. That's right, so that's, that. I mean, keep this up and it's only going to be, that's only gonna be a growing problem. That, I think, is gonna be a backlash against the government that once more was stupid as opposed to manifestly evil for just not getting it right. I mean, you can have different ideological ideas, whether it's about green uh, energy or climate change or about the level of in- immigration, but whatever your ideological ideas, Is you've at least got to do it properly and according to the mathematics. I thought Corey was off on an interesting point there, but you didn't go very far into it. And that was, is the impetus to bring in more immigrants, to bring in more taxpayers? Because the whole social benefit scheme in Canada is actually a a massive Ponzi scheme. And we could not depend, like this generation could not depend on the generation that's following to, frankly, pay the bills, to pay the CPP, to pay the OAS, to pay the GIS, to pay the cost of healthcare, you know? And so, oh, you bring in more, you bring in more immigrants, you have more taxpayers, and now we've got enough money, and I'll, I'll be somewhere else by the time that all this comes home to roost. Hmm. I have to wonder whether that's really what it's all about. Well, that's really where I want to go next.
0: This one's going to be a bit more politically sensitive uh, by its nature. Immigration, uh, the the politics of immigration in a lot of countries is sometimes uh, set by ideology, but often it's more just practical politics, stacking the deck one way or another to to favor one political party or 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 another. And some of that will overlap to an extent. But like you look in the United States, generally Democrats favor uh, immigration more than Republicans do. Both are generally fairly pro-immigration, but. You know, Democrats more so, but one of the big reasons for that is that recent immigrants and visible minorities vote in significantly larger numbers proportionally Democrat. So the Democrats have a political incentive for higher immigration, whereas Republicans have a political incentive for lower immigration. Uh, and there's a similar, although not maybe not as strong, uh, correlation in Canada. That um, you know, how many. You've all heard it before. Uh, with some older immigrants, well, I my family came here under Trudeau, senior Trudeau. So I feel obliged to vote Liberal. And the Liberals have painted themselves very effectively as the party of immigrants, rightly or wrongly, they have. Uh, you know, Mulroney opened Canada up to record levels of, of immigration. He passed the official Multiculturalism Act, but somehow did not steal the political star as the party of immigration from the Liberals. The Liberals have retained it. The Conservatives closed the gap quite a bit when uh, with the Harper uh, majority victory in 2011, you know, with Jason Kenney's work and things like that. But that was fleeting, that seemed to have been largely a one-off kind of thing. The Liberals do seem to have a strong partisan uh, interest in higher immigration because they're people who are like, more likely to vote Liberal once they can get their, uh, uh, their citizenship than not. Is that what's driving this and the consequences of these kind of insane levels of immigration be damned? Or is it just that they think it's the right thing
2: to do? Well, I go back to what I just said. I do think that the, uh, the incentive, the economic incentive is very strong. Bring in more people, pay more bills, worry about the consequences in the end, uh, when, when, they, when they have to be worried about. But for now, we need more taxpayers. That, I think, is the driving thing, because the bringing in more people also brings in more carbon dioxide emitters. It's not going to make the net zero any easier to meet by 2035 if between now and then you bring in, what, another six million people? Uh, that's, so it's counterproductive in a lot of ways.
0: Carbon dioxide emitters—that is what we should just call humans now.
2: Yeah, yep. well, consumers and carbon dioxide emitters. That's right. Corey,
0: uh, okay, same thing to you. Do you think this is driven by uh, you know, rightly or wrongly? this is driven by the partisan political incentive for the liberals that you know immigrate, or at least more recent immigrants? It's less so with older, uh, more established I mean, immigrants, but this, that they're more likely to vote liberal, and that's why they want to bring these. I, uh, people in in
1: such numbers, or I think secondary to the economic case, that could be part of it for sure, because traditionally, demographically, that's a better area. But those who came in and felt gratitude towards, say, Trudeau Sr., didn't come in and have to spend their two first years in a tent camp, waiting for a year to find a doctor for a checkup, and uh, having an increasingly hostile citizenry, which is going to happen if again we, we don't properly integrate new Canadians. Uh, I don't know if they're going to feel such a sense of gratitude to the existing government for the situation they got put in mm. as past immigra- you know, immigrants may have had. So I, I wouldn't count on their support later on.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to change from kind of federal government to Trudeau more personally. So everyone knows uh, Justin Trudeau and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau split. They put out uh, kind of at the same time simultaneous statements that I think were very... You could tell there was a lot of communication strategists behind this. The deal was already arranged uh, to make it as neat as possible. Uh, and in there, they included a very reasonable and humane plea for privacy for their families that we try to, you know, keep, um, try not to make the personal political here. And uh, the media more or less do normally respect that, at least for liberals. Like, liberals' private lives are generally considered more or less off limits. Um, but then, uh, and we're gonna have to bring, uh, bring a picture up here. I think it was about two days later, Justin Trudeau posts this picture of him and his son. I, I didn't even know what his son looks like. I- he has appeared in photos. It's not like they've been totally sequestered and hidden, but haven't really been trotted out too much. To the Trudeau's credit, you know, he hasn't used his kids as props too much, at least that I've seen. But then he trots out his son as a prop here, and they're both dressed in pink, uh, and you know it's labeled uh, Team Barbie, and I mean it's fine. Go to see Barbie. I was disappointed; I couldn't take my, my daughter to see Barbie, or you know, my wife took her instead because um, I had to watch the baby. But um, you know, it, it's fine.
2: You really but, want to see Barbie?
0: Uh, it, out of all movies I could watch with my daughter in a theater, <laughs> it looked like a funny one.
2: Yeah,
1: it probably have its moments. Like early. if
0: you're going to go to a, a movie theater with a six year old girl, I mean you could oh. probably see worse. You could probably see worse. <laughs> it sounded kind of funny with some jokes that are, you know, go over the heads of kids, but we'll, we'll meet in an adult. So no problem with that, but just, and I can't put my finger on it, but it was just the look of them. Uh, I've used this term for Trudeau before. We have a word in German for it. Uh, it's very hard to pronounce, but Bekfeifengeschichte, which it translates roughly a punchable face. And he just had such a punchable face a, in it. smug. It had that, that smug little. But dude, whatever else you think of it, it, was very clearly sending some kind of message, using his son as a prop. Like less than forty-eight hours after he makes a plea for privacy, and this just reminded me of, you know, uh, Harry and Meghan Merkel touring around the media, going on Oprah, screaming. Please respect our privacy. You know, just kind of like that, uh, this, that, that South Park episode and Harry and Meghan's privacy tour. Corey?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, stop. You know, give us our privacy. And they're holding signs and marching in front of the cameras. And, yeah. And within two days, there he is. And it wasn't a case of he'd gone to the theater and some individual had taken a picture with their yeah. camera and posted it. This was a staged, posed, hey, look at me. But, you know, it's pure Trudeau. It's pure, it has to be about him. It's that shallow, uh, you know, all eyes on me. Look at me. I'm the dad going through a, a, a separation. You know, somebody on social media pointed out an interesting thing. You know, maybe his messaging was actually more petty than that. Even it was actually directed towards Sophie. Hey, I got him for the weekend. Look what I'm doing. That's speculation. Hey, but you see, when you're going to play that game and you're inviting that speculation. Well, that's the problem. Yeah, you invite it. Just, yeah. you know, you have your personal pictures. I have pictures with my kids. I do my political stuff on Twitter, and boy, I invite the backlash and the headaches, but I don't post my family pictures on there. Mm-hmm. I post them in other areas where I'm sharing with family. He's choosing to expose that. It doesn't mean it, it justifies hostile reactions or attacks against his kids, but it also says, dude, you, your request for privacy was more than a little overblown.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, last week I, I wrote something right after it, uh, it the news came down, and I said, you know what? I disagree with Mr. Trudeau. On, just about everything but on this I understand the situation I'm mm-hmm. happy to just say go leave, take the space you need you and Sophie and and then the first thing that comes up is this and I kind of wish I hadn't written it. I feel like I've been deceived you know wouldn't surely be the, wouldn't be surely. the first time but uh the guy just can't help himself he's a publicity hound if the cameras are not pointing in his direction he's over here you know yeah. It's it's sad. It actually is kinda of sad that a fellow with that with that mentality is leading the country.
0: And it and it does make it hard, I think, for other politicians to make the same plea who actually mean it. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going through something personal here. Please leave my family out of this. This is our personal life. We yeah. shouldn't get chewed up at home for this, because you know they're they're human beings.
1: Mm. And, and people have respected it. I mean, there haven't been paparazzi climbing the walls trying to get pictures of, yeah. of the Trudeau family or or tailing Sophie to see if it's she has a new a date yet or, or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but again, at the same time, it would be more like, okay, I'm going to leave the family thing here and we're going to have the political thing here. But no, he's still got them quite well immersed in the public eye.
0: Yeah. And uh, and I have a feeling that Sophie Gregor, you still call her Trudeau? Maybe she keeps the name because it's got some
2: cachet. I don't don't think the court settlement is reached yet, so she legally she's probably... Uh, But
0: she, who knows, maybe she keeps it because it's got, you know, it's got some cachet. Uh, Who knows, but I I have a feeling she's not going to just quietly ride into the sunset. I mean, most people still remember uh, uh, Margaret Trudeau and she used that platform into some kind of career. Sophie Trudeau is probably going to do something somewhere. I doubt she's yeah, going to ride into she, the sunset.
1: She doesn't seem to have that uh, craving of attention that we see out of Justin, which I think he inherited from Margaret. Uh, Sophie yeah. likes the spotlight a bit, but she doesn't seem to be quite as obsessed a, with it. Yeah. As, as So I don't know if a, but a comparison if she to Margaret herself is herself As fair. a
0: public figure,
1: yeah. then... The name's an asset.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jen Gerson at the line, I think, had a... She, or, I'm am guessing it was her who wrote it uh, it was just the editors but the line they had a they had a good column on this about okay well she's off grant, she's off limits for now but if she tries to reinvent herself as a public figure she becomes fair game again mm-hmm. you know and I I have a hard time believing she's just going to totally go away and you know live like the Unabomber.
2: we'll
1: see
0: so
2: probably not like the Unabomber, <laughs> no <laughs>
0: well in the last few years he was really mailing it in so, uh, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's usually me who pulls these stunts on. Uh, here. James,
0: guys. who's operating the camera today, got that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, uh, the conservative leader's new clothes. So, Pierre Pauliev has been undergoing some of uh, an image makeover lately. Mm-hmm. He's gotten rid of the glasses. Uh, I'm guessing he either got laser eye or contacts. I find it looks a bit weird because I feel like... He feels like he looks he looks almost naked with it. And Now, that night might just be... I remember my dad had a mustache for a time while I was a kid and for a few years, and he shaved it, and I was like, who the hell is this guy? Maybe just get so used to someone, and he's just always had glasses, I think, since he was born. Hmm. Um, but, you know, he's been uh, shown less in his pinstripe suits and more, you know, in athletic gear and doing stuff. He's been working out. Uh, but now there's... Um, now these, these new uh, these new ads that have come out, not attack ads, they're positive ads. Uh, and, and positive ads are so much less cool than attack ads. I like attack ads, even bad attack, actually, especially bad attack ads. But these ones, are, they're kind of corny. It's got his wife talking about how uh, he's a good guy, cares about where you're going, not where you're from. Uh, he's got one with the, one of his kids, I think his boy. Um, they're nice and fluffy. Uh, Nigel, do you think these are going to have, I don't know, any real effect of trying to rebrand him from being kind of the, oh, I hate to say this, but the Millhouse poindextry political nerd attack dog who's always going for the throat to be, you know, the nicer dad, husband. Do you think this is, these might be effective? Or his image makeover in general effective?
2: Well, look, women vote and women like Trudeau or have in the past. So there's no good saying, well, I don't care about all that sort of thing. I'm just gonna to have to, you know, uh, change, it, uh, carry on and get the message right and we'll see see where it goes on the election because it may not go well. So, you know, about two months ago, we ran something about how women didn't like Bolivar and a lot of the things that uh, were claimed by, Various people working for the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, the CBC, were uh, that he was harsh, that he always seemed to be uh, ready to fight. He was aggressive. He was nice. All right. Well, if that's an issue for women, it's not an issue for men. But if it's an issue for women, what are you going to do about that? Why don't we do a blue pullover? No, that didn't work for Harper. (laughs) Let's not do blue pullovers. Uh, You know. Um, So we go. How about uh, laser eye surgery? Yes, we could do that. And look, um, I know a really good hairdresser. We could, we could tweak it a bit, and so the thing starts to go, and it's horrible to have to admit the politics comes down to this kind of trash, but it does.
0: Well, I don't, I don't. think it is just women as well. Uh, image matters to both male and female voters. Uh, yeah, but his male image was fine. Uh, I think it was not as. Uh, it was better than it was with women. But oh. I think even a lot of men thought oh, he looks like a bit of a nerd. Not sure I could have a beer with him, kind of thing. So I, I think you know he might be actually even. Like, it's probably geared primarily at women, uh, but I think also also at men. You want to appear, uh, you know, one of the famous. I think they started polling this in the 2000 uh, US presidential election. Who would you rather have a beer with? George Bush or Al Gore? George Bush beat the hell out of Al Gore. Which was funny because well, George wasn't... Bush had quit drinking at that time and somehow seemed to become dumber when he was sober, but... uh that really wasn't
1: a fair fight. Come
0: on, I will no. You know,
1: <laughs>
0: like go to my
1: way to avoid. Who a beer wouldn't
0: love to drink, have a beer with George Bush? <laughs> like, like that'd be, that'd be a good time. Yeah. Um. But that was a that was an interesting kind of poll. It's not saying how oh, you're going to vote, but it said a lot about relatability and likability. And I, I think this might also be a bit with the men that, you know, he's going to seem a little less nerdy. You know, like not doesn't look like a guy who's like. You know, a conservative intern, and just work just from there. Somebody's been a bit more in the real world. So what we've
2: actually got to find out is who is advising him. Like, who's the wizard who is is, is taking charge of the external profile and is, is making these decisions on behalf of him and the party? RuPaul. Oh. Oh god! But I mean,
1: popular. You know, as either as shallow as it is, it is a popularity contest. Uh, And and, and if anything's been uh, nagging them or hanging over them in the polls, the party's growing and growing and doing better. But personal popularity, he's people don't like him. Uh, He's been
0: doing okay. Yeah, but but not.
1: not, He's not been matching the party. So I mean, they've, they've maxed out what they can do with policy. Now let's soften the person. I think it's a good tactic. Uh, it's unfortunate that policy alone isn't necessarily enough, whether it's male or female, though they, they, they feel with the person. We saw that with Preston Manning, too, when he softened things up in the 90s. Suddenly the glasses voice, were gone, the hair training, was a little so better. So he got rid of that,
0: hi, yeah. Preston Manning
1: voice. And, and he never became prime minister. But to be honest, as a younger Canadian voter at that time, I was already a reformer. But I found that more appealing. I was mm-hmm. just a little more, a little less dorky, a little more uh, human. So I, I think we're going to see more of it. The, the big question, like you're asking is whether or not it's going to work, that, that, that we'll see.
2: You know, Corey, it's, it, it depends a lot at the election time as to what kind of a mess we're in. Mm. If they, like, if you've got a serious medical condition, you want a good doctor, and it, it won't necessarily be the personality doctor. It might be somebody who's a miserable sub to work with, but he knows where to put the knife, and he has a perfect record. So if farms are good, then... The voters may well choose somebody who's okay, likable and wears odd socks.
0: But image matters, and but, it does say a lot. Like, when someone comes for a job interview with me, um, I'll admit it. You come in with a face tattoo, I'm going to have a really time, hard time getting over that, even if you got great qualifications. I'm going to get sued now by everyone with a face tattoo who's applied for a job here and not getting one. Well, I've been a lot of those. I <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, your presentation matters. Are you dressed for the job Did you dressed like a slob did you comb your hair do you care about how you present yourself so and it's not just that and you know we all don't think so but we've you know there's ample studies to show how a politician looks matters how someone applying for a job men and women matters Uh, even men are more likely to hire handsome looking other men uh just because maybe well, it's a thank you for that. that. Derek, it's
2: been almost a year now. That's why I hired you two. <laughs> <Yep>.
1: <laughs> Bring up the levels around here.
0: Or maybe it's a proof that I'm just so much less shallow that you two are here. <laughs> but I mean, image matters. And it's unfortunate. We all like to pretend, well, it does to everybody else, but not us. But even subconsciously, it's hard to get over. And the way, like, we were just talking about Justin Trudeau and his punchable face. The way he looks, I mean, just for some, you know, some people love that stuff, but others of us, I don't really know what was wrong with the substance of it, other than I looked at it and said, mm, "I really don't like him today." Well, oh, it's
1: just so visibly fake. That,
0: that's yeah, thing. yeah. But you know, this stuff, I don't know. I think it it sinks in and it, and it matters on some level. We're
2: gonna work that word. How many syllables
0: in it? Ten was it? I am almost surely pronoun- uh, mispronouncing it because it's the last part of it. Sounds like history Geschichte, but I I pronounce it back back backfeifen Geschichte,
3: and
0: and uh, any Germans watching right now uh, feel free to very much correct me on it because I I feel like it's wrong. Backfeifen Geschichte.
2: So I I think backfeifen Geschichte. Give me the spelling. We'll make sure. A punchable
0: face or a face in need of punching or a (laughs) slapable face. All acceptable translations. (laughs) Okay, and all things I feel. When I see that picture. <laughs> okay, Corey, Nigel, thank you very much for joining. Uh, I thank I was- all of you for joining us today. If you're not yet a member of the Western Standard, go to westernstandard.news right now. If you're not a member, sign up at least for the free newsletter to stay in contact as federal legislation is now having us banned from Facebook and Google. If you want to stay in touch with the roughly 50 news uh, articles and opinion columns we're publishing a day, our video content, podcasts, and things like that, you need to stay in touch with us because Ottawa has done its best to make sure that you can. So go up, sign up right now. And if you can, please support us by becoming a member. We've got a special promotion on it of only $5 a month right now. Thank you very much for joining us and God bless.
3: Here's an update on commodity prices in Lethbridge for today. Cash barley is down $3 at 385. Feed wheat is also down $3 at 387. And corn is steady at 386 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, September Minneapolis futures are lower 7.5 cents at 8.23 per bushel, with local hard red spring bid for August movement at 10.20 per bushel. Looking at canola, November futures are down $6.40 at 7.84.50 per ton, with delivered buys for August September movement at 17.44 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are trading at 32 cents per pound, and yellow peas are at 10.70 per bushel. And in the livestock markets, October live cattle added 70 cents at $0.70 at 180.40 per hundredweight. For more information on pricing or picked up options, give me a call. I'm Matt Busiekum at Marketplace Commodities. Accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options.
0: Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.